This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Folks, it is not the church that does evangelism best. It is the individuals within the church. God gives every single one of you in this room in different ways, strategic points, so that someone around you will identify with your personal evangelistic style. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Feel awake and feeling ready for another message from Pastor Jeff? Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and this is Today with Jeff Vines, podcast, broadcast and available online. Today we'll hear more from Pastor Jeff's Awakening series and why God loves his church. Pastor Jeff is preaching from Acts chapter 1 about why we need to love the church, God's people, just as God does. Here's Pastor Jeff to get the message started. All right, turn over to the book of Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, verse eight. And just uh, hold it there just for a few moments. We'll be there. Hey, hasn't this been a great series? It's, you know, it's sad to come to an end, isn't it? The series Awakenings. You can clap, it's all right. I know I've had the time of my life just seeing, I think it's, we're up to 287 plus baptisms just in the last three weeks. And uh, just seeing people come across and have the courage to just be obedient. And, and from my perspective, I'll look back at this as one of the most simple series I've ever preached in my life. Very simple truths is what we've been talking about. And yet it's had such a dynamic impact. And I think about Jesus though and the way he preached and very simple stories to bring the gospel alive. Now, when I lived in New Zealand for those 10 years, I learned a few Kiwi phrases. I'm gonna share them with you really quickly, all right? Just a few that some of you may have heard, but it will culminate in the one I really wanna talk about. The first one, uh, they would use this phrase, uh, I can't be bothered. Now, when I first heard it, I was a little bit offended. You say, hey, would you like to come to church this weekend? I can't be bothered. Would you like to come to my house for dinner? I can't be bothered. But it's not meant to be offensive. It's the American way of just saying, I've already made plans. I have previous engagements. But it sounds a little horrible, doesn't it? Kiwis also termed the word wicked. You think Southern California did, but you didn't. It was in New Zealand a long time before it ever made its way across the ocean. Everything was wicked, wicked this, wicked that. It could be described, it could be used to describe an insurmountable amount of detail or events. Uh, another one is heaps. I think this comes from the sheep mentality. Uh, there are 4 million people in New Zealand, 64 million sheep. So everything is heaps, heaps of fun, heaps of food. And another one, of course, is the one that you have to be careful the way you say, and they say, sweet as, one S, one S. <laughs> sweet as, everything is, that's sweet as. And I think it got shortened when it made its way to America. We just say sweet, and that's it. But one of my, the, the favorite phrase the Kiwis use is the phrase, that, uh, well, it, it, it's, it's a little bit mesmerizing. They'll just look at you right in the eye and say, what are you on about? What are you on about? And it's their way of saying, what is the bottom line, man? Enough jibber jabber. What are you trying to say? Direct to the point. And what I have been trying to say as we bring the series to a close is I've been trying to get you to ask the question, are you really in 
Are you in? Are you in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Because just because you come to church twice a month, just because you occasionally give money in the offering plate, does not mean that you're in. And the passage that I read last week where Jesus said, there'll be many come to him and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done this? Have we not done that? Have we not prophesied in your name, performed many miracles? Don't you find it a little bit astounding, a lot astounding that Jesus looked and said, I don't know who you are. I've got no idea who you are. That they would have thought they're in the crowd, man. They're in the right place, the right time at the right church, but they're not in. And so that's why I took you back the first week and I said, you've got to reflect, folks. You gotta ask yourself if there was a time when you knelt before the cross and you said, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus as my savior. Can you identify that day? Or do you think you've been grandfathered or grandmothered in? Because your parents were, that must mean you're okay too. Was there a time, and at that time when you knelt at the cross and took Jesus as savior, you also said, he's my Lord and master. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. And where he leads, I'm gonna follow no matter how difficult it is. And then the next week we moved to forget. And I said, some of you are gonna be saying, Jeff, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Yes, I do, because I've been the same place and I've done the same things. I know. But we're not talking about sociology that deals on the past. We're talking about theology that deals with the future. And every single one of you can walk out that door before we finish this series today, a changed man or woman. And you can say, you know what? I haven't been totally with God. I haven't given everything to God and made him Lord, but today is a new day and I am. And then we move from there to commitment. Remember what we said? It is not enough just to believe in Jesus. The devils believe. There's a difference between belief, intellectual affirmation of everything Jesus did and commitment. And the way to commitment is narrow and only a few find it. And we use the example of your friend and mine now, Charles Blondin, who walked from the Canadian to the American side on a tightrope of Niagara Falls. I am Charles Blondin, do you believe in me? Remember, 25,000 people said three times, yes, we believe. So then he asked, then who will go with me? And nobody volunteered. Because you had a lot of people who claimed belief, but no one who really was committed to trusting their lives into his hands. That's what I'm talking about. Commitment reflection, forgetting the past. Can you go back to the day when you crossed over and that happened and you're in the kingdom? Now this fourth phase, the fourth and final piece of the puzzle, it's kind of what I call the cause and effect. It's not so much a decision you make as someone you are. And if you're in, this automatically happens. You don't even hardly have to think about it. If you're in, this happens. And it's this summed up in one phrase. If you love Jesus, you love his church. If you love Jesus, you love his church. Because if you love Jesus, you're passionate about what he's passionate about. And his greatest love and his greatest passion is for his church. I hear people all the time say, well, you know what? I don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites. Well, you're right. And that's why we're going to let you in. <laughs> Everybody in this church hypocritical to a certain degree. We're just trying to be less hypocritical, right? As we become Christ-like. Other people will say, you know what? I don't like the church because all the church wants is your money. Oh, no, no, we want a lot more than that. That's just the beginning point. We want everything, all of it. Jesus loves his church. And if you love Jesus and you're in, you love his church. As a matter of fact, as you read the gospels, you discover that the most dynamic force in world history 
is a force that God is generating among ordinary people. And Jesus loves his church. Therefore, you love his church. And he loves his church, first of all, because people from the church are Christ's most effective evangelists. People from the church, in your bulletin, are Christ's most effective evangelists. Now, let's read this out loud. Man, you've heard this a thousand times, but we're gonna read it with passion and vigor. Here we go, it's on the screen. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You get it? He didn't say, would you be, would you pretty please be? No, when the spirit comes on you, which only comes on the truly committed, on the narrow walkers, then you will be my witnesses. And the reality is that God gives every single one of you in this room in different ways and places you at strategic points so that someone around you will identify with your personal evangelistic style. I read a story this past week. Preacher's on an airplane, minding his own business. This preacher talks about he's still a little boy inside. He likes to look out the window and he looks over to the other side across the aisle and he sees a, it's in Atlanta, Georgia, a beautiful blue-eyed bronze the blonde. And he said, I know I'm a preacher, but whoo, she was beautiful. I found it difficult to keep my eyes on the creator rather than his creation. <laughs> beautiful. But all of a sudden I looked up, we were loading the plane and a New York guy, just Mr. Cool New York comes walking down the aisle. You know, hair all slicked back. Got the silk shirt on, buttoned down to here. Got the gold chains. And he doesn't walk, he sashays. And he comes down the aisle like this, you know, and he sees the girl. My preacher friend, I knew exactly where he was going to sit. No matter what number he had or aisle or seat, I knew what he was gonna do because he caught a glimpse of her from the front. He walks back, sure enough, he goes just down right beside her. He starts talking to her. My friend says, man, I saw an artiste at work. Just the way he began to speak and the way he began to just slowly but surely engage in conversation. And he was cool all the while, appearing to be in full control. He's saying the right things at the right times because timing is everything. And just about the time when he's about to make his move, she whips out a Bible. Talk about cold water. And my friend said, all the way from Atlanta to Philadelphia, this dear saint was explaining the scriptures to this guy. <laughs> That's what happens when you mess with people from the South. We pulled into the gate in New York. And you know, same thing happens every time, doesn't it? Why does everybody stand up all of a sudden? Why do you do that? Because you know the gate people are always on strike. It's gonna take them 15 minutes, but everybody stands up and it gets hot. They turn off the air. This guy says, I was glad that the gate people were delayed because she needed a little more time. And I just kind of inched my way over and I was listening. And before they even got the door to the gate so that we could leave, she began to ask him to bow his head and she prayed with him and she led him to Jesus Christ. I read that story and here's what I thought. Who better to share the gospel with a smooth talking, chain wearing, sachet walking, would be Fonzie than a breathtaking bronzed blonde from the South. That's why I love the church right there. Folks, it is not the church that does evangelism best. It is the individuals within the church 
who walk across the room and meet somebody like them that can communicate in their style and their temperament. That's what's been happening at my favorite coffee place that shall remain nameless. I'm a coffee connoisseur, and all I've been doing is drinking coffee and identifying with coffee drinkers. And three weeks ago, I told you the story, and I can use her name now, where Jana, the most difficult one to get here, not because she was mean or anything. Well, yeah, she's mean, but we all are. But, but you know what I mean? Just because it, she felt that God had not delivered like he should. She was the most difficult one. And then when she came, she sat right over there, and she wept the whole service because she identified with what she once had, a time in her life when she was at peace. And then Monday morning, I saw her reading her Bible and she's full on, 100%. She came back the next week. This is the part of the story you don't know. And she brought her family and her little daughter, Vanessa, during the invitation time on Sunday night, got up out of the chair, shocked her mom and went into the pool. Jana comes running on the stage. She's only been here a couple Sundays, so she doesn't know protocol. You don't run on the stage. She ran on the stage. She grabbed me. Did you see this? My daughter's being baptized. And I ran down there and we watched. She was all teary-eyed. And then the following week, Amanda, who also works at this unsaid coffee place, saw what her friend had done. So she and her whole family come all together at the same time down into the water baptized. Now, here's my point. That wasn't necessarily something that the church collectively did. That's what some individual who's invested. Amanda had invested a lot of time in their lives. And there's a lot of you, I ask you, if you love Jesus, you love his church. And if you love his church, you're passionate about what he's passionate about. And nobody does evangelism like the individual Christian. So my question to you is, who are you investing in? And are you walking across the room? Now, I know what some people are going to say, so I'm going to help you. Some people say, it's not my gift. It's not my gift. I want to give you the East Tennessee translation of Acts chapter one, verse eight. Here's how it would read. But all youans will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on all y'all. And all you all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the people who ain't from around these parts. Now, the reason I say it like that is because evangelism is for all of us, every single one of us, and God places us strategically at the right place, at the right time, among the right people for such a time as this. So let's say it out loud, and here we go. One, two, three. We love the church because the people in the church are the most effective evangelists. Now, be careful. Remember what I said two weeks ago? If you knew the sin in my life, you wouldn't listen to me, but that's okay, because if I knew the sin in your life, I wouldn't talk to you. And the bottom line is this. It's not about being perfect. It's not. It's about walking across the room, taking a person by the hand, and saying, I myself have not arrived yet, I'm not who I ought to be, all in all, but hold my hand, and you and I will go toward Christ, and together we will pursue Christ's likeness. And that's Philippians 3, 10 through 14. I love the church. Let's keep moving, though. Second reason. I love the church because people in the church are some of the most accepting, loving people you will ever meet. Now, I know what some people say to me. They say, oh, no, 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 I've met some of the most rotten people in my life in the church. Two responses to that. Number one, Dane Johnson is really not that bad. Okay? And number two, number two, so have I. I have. People in the church have said things that have been 10 times more hurtful to me than people outside. That is true. However, overall, overall, the best people I know are in the church. 
gracious, holy, sweet, kind, and these people have shaped my life. Clyde Buckles was the elder, chairman of the board of elders in the church in which I grew up. And he had three gorgeous daughters. Now, Pastor Jeff, I'm worried about you. This is the second story about gorgeous women. Do you have a problem? No, no, it just happens to fit this way. Three beautiful daughters. The middle daughter was my age. She was stunning. She still is stunning. Not as much as my wife, of course, but you, that, goes, that goes without saying. She was stunning. And the youth group grew not because of the word. It grew because of her. All the guys wanted to be there. Now, it, it grew because of the word too. But you, you know my point, stunning. It just so happened about the age that I started to recognize or to notice the, other, the opposite sex that I was chosen to play Joseph in the Christmas play. And to show you how God looks at me as his favorite, <laughs> he chose Melissa Buckles to play Mary. And to show you that he is willing to go out of his way to bless my life. Somehow, one of our youth leaders had gotten hold of a script that in the middle of the play, Mary kisses Joseph, which would have never happened in the first century context. But I didn't care. I just knew that there was a scriptwriter somewhere in America for whom I had great affection at this moment. <laughs> and the time came in rehearsal for Mary to kiss Joseph and Clyde Buckles was there overseeing the play. And he noticed his daughter was a little shy. And he said, Clyde Buckles, the chairman of the board of elders of the Eastside Christian Church, he said, Mary, which is his daughter, Mary, kiss Joseph. It's what it says in the script. And do it with vigor and passion. And I knew right then that some of the best people I know are in the church. Right then and there. But Clyde Buckles was an amazing man. He really was. This guy, he taught Sunday school with the flannel board. He could make that flannel board come alive. Jesus walking on the water and Peter getting out of the boat. And he would kneel down and pray. And it was like he was talking to God. I mean, just, it was like God was right beside him. God, I'm a sinner. I ask for forgiveness. And Father, I pray for these kids next to me. I love them. I mean, he just talked like he and God were tight and he loved us. He would invite me home to his house a lot of times after church for Sunday dinner me and three beautiful young girls. He was investing in my life and it's made a huge impact. Now I've got a friend also though that tells me that he's amazed that as his church grows, he looks out sometimes and he sees a lot of what he calls sourpusses, just people who look sad, who look frustrated, don't look very happy. And I got to tell you, I'm going to talk about that in a moment, about here, but in a moment. He said there was one guy that started coming, just looked sad all the time, just looked like he was miserable. He said, so after about two or three weeks of this, I just got tired of it. And after the last service, I walked down right to him and I grabbed him in my hands and I kissed him right on the cheek. And he just walked out. He came back though. I kissed him again. Three weeks, I just kissed him right on the cheek. He left. The fourth time I came down, he was ready for me. He said, preacher, now wait a second. My wife died just recently. And I keep coming here because you say that people in this place will love me if I'll let them. Well, when my wife died, my biggest issue has been, I don't think there's anyone in this world left who will love me. But you keep saying that there are people that in this church that will love me. A few months later, he keeps coming. He says, I want to see if you're right. Is there anybody that will love me in this church? 
He says, I'll never forget three or four months later, guy the guy's still coming. I walk down, he grabs me by the arm and he looks me in the eye and he says, preacher, you were right. And he kissed him right on the cheek. Here's what I love about the church. It takes broken people and loves them. You know what? I gotta be honest with you. I'm not gonna point anybody out, but there are a few people in this service and the next service. Sometimes I look out at you and I wonder, I'm just in the flesh, I wonder, why are you even here? Because you look so mad and it looks like you're mad at me. I see everything, I do. It looks like you're mad. And I, what goes through my mind is, man, somebody's wife has forced them to come to church again. But I keep seeing them every week. Sometimes people look like they're so distant, they're not here. They'd rather be on their cell phone. And I'm thinking, why are you? But then it's like the spirit of God opens my eyes. He, like, he speaks to me, wait a minute now. And here's what he says. He says, remember Jeff, the church is the light of the world. But the problem with light is, is it attracts bugs. <laughs> right? We're all bugs. But the beautiful thing about the church is this, all bugs are welcomed and we promise to love you while we debug you. And that's why I love, but you gotta be willing to take the risk. That's why I talk about life groups all the time. My, one of my favorite pastimes is to go over to Anthony McMahon's house and watch the Dodger game as the angels just whoop up on him most of the time. And if I stay long enough, I know that Vivian will start to feel sorry for the pastor and she will cook some real Mexican food, not the stuff you get at restaurants, the real stuff. And she'll bring it over and she'll offer it. And I'll always say, oh, I wasn't expecting that, liar. <laughs> this big plate of food and then the desserts and then Anthony will give me a little diet coke. It's great, I love it, I love, that's community, man. And you can find it too, man, you can find it. You can. I love the church because it loves people. And the Celebrate Recovery group, man, those guys are still my heroes. They're in there, man. They come together. Like I said before, I, they're the only ones honest enough to realize they got issues, <laughs> hurts and habits and hangups, which we all have, but they think, man, we're gonna hold each other accountable. We're gonna win the victory. We're in it to win it, and we will win in the end. If, you've got an, if you're a bug, which we all are, there's a place that you can be attracted to light that won't zap you. You'll be okay. Now let's say it together out loud, fireside room, here we go. We love the church because it has some of the most loving and accepting people we know. And that's true. Acts 4.32 says this, all the believers, all of them, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And I'm assuming that everything is also your troubles. All right, last one. I love the church, third, because the church reaches out to the poor and the oppressed, and I love it. Now, this is a photo you won't often see. Bill Clinton and George Bush, both of them together, lobbied hard, both of them, for charitable choice legislation because they know that faith-based organizations are much more effective than the government ever could be at creating jobs, housing the homeless, treating addiction, and feeding the hungry. Did you hear that? And as I walk around the world, in Kenya, Zimbabwe, South Africa, New Zealand, India, wherever I go, it thrills my heart. I'm so encouraged by what the people of the church are doing. 
You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You get it? He didn't say, would you be, would you pretty please be? No, when the Spirit comes on you, which only comes on the truly committed, then you will be my witnesses. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.